Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Waste Ed webinar number three. My name is Garnet, and I am the city coordinator for Leftovers in Edmonton. The Waste Ed webinar is exploring food waste in Edmonton. And last month, we talked with Julia from the Multicultural Health Brokers Cooperative. I'd like to do a treaty acknowledgement, and the treaty acknowledgements have become quite habitual for us uh, these days, and I'd like to make it as relevant as we can. And I thought something that might be neat today would be to talk about the Indigenous history of Edmonton prior to the City of Edmonton forming, as we are talking with guests from the City of Edmonton today. And part of that is the Papas Chase First Nation, who was nomadic um, prior to settler colonization. But with the buffalo being wiped out, they no longer had their food sources. And so they settled around the Edmonton area around 1877. They were then relocated to a reserve around the Mill Woods area, which then progressively shrunk. And by the time the city of Edmonton was formed in 1904, the uh, reserve had been uh, disintegrated and the people, what was left of them were spread across uh, Alberta and across the nation. And uh, I think it's important for us to continually explore ways that we can be more respectful and um, have better relationships with the indigenous people and with the land. And perhaps one of the ways we could do that would be to take better care of our waste and produce less waste. With that, I would like to introduce two individuals who are doing just that. Sarah Wilmot and Jana Lee from the city of Edmonton work in the Waste Strategy Project Management Office. Welcome to both of you to the Waste Ed webinar. We'll jump right in with some questions. Uh, Sarah, maybe you could help us contextualize waste management in the city. How is it structured and what is the city's role within that? Sure, so waste management is one branch of the city operations department. So other parts of city operations would include parks and road services, for instance. Um, within the waste services branch, there are several sections. Um, you're getting a real lowdown on like the organizational hierarchy of the city here. Um, and the sections include those who are responsible for waste collection, waste processing, data management and planning, customer service, engineering services, and then the group that Jana and I belong to, which is the project management office. Okay, so great. within the project management office, we're responsible really for um, planning the planning for new projects. And then once those projects reach the stage of implementation and sort of become our new normal, then we would hand them over to one of the other sections to maintain. Very fun. That sounds like a lot of fun to actually like be innovating and creating new stuff. Absolutely. And where does the city's jurisdiction of waste management fit within that? Do you sure. take care of all waste within the city or just certain waste? Yeah, so the city um, really just directly manages residential waste. We are a, a regulated utility. Uh, so that means that all of our, our customers are all of the residents of the city of Edmonton. And all of those residents pay a monthly utility fee that covers all of the costs associated with providing all of the services that we provide. So that would include collection, waste drop-off facilities like recycling depots and eco stations, all of the processing that happens out at the Edmonton Waste Management Center and disposal um, at a remote landfill. 
So nobody uh, in Edmonton pays for any waste through their property taxes. It's all funded through those monthly utility fees. We don't provide any direct services to what we call the non-residential sector. And that's a really sort of broad term. It really means like businesses and organizations, schools, churches, uh, healthcare facilities, like anything that's not residential, we don't uh, provide collection service and we don't typically process that waste. People can bring it to us, but um, they're not required to. Great. And is that a fairly typical structure for a city um, to have that dissemination? It, it's certainly typical that cities are not directly involved in commercial collection. That is usually left to the private sector and the private haulers like waste management or GFL, you know, you see those, those trucks around town and that's really standard. Um, the way that we fund our system entirely through utility fees is not as standard. It's often um, rolled into property taxes or uh, combination, like they'll be partly funded through taxes and partly funded through fees. So we're quite unique in that it's fully funded through fees. Uh, and then the other thing that's a bit different in Edmonton is that all of the multifamily, or we call it multi-unit sector, is included in our utility. Yeah, so it's considered part of the residential sector. Often multi-unit uh, buildings are actually considered to be part of the commercial sector in other cities. Uh, and the managers of those buildings are left to make their own collection arrangements. So, uh, you know, every apartment building would need to be calling up and having a contract, like their own individual contract with a private hauler. Whereas in Edmonton, we take care of that. Yeah, you know, thanks. Um, Jenna, if we're looking at waste reduction in Edmonton, what role do, does your department play in the reduction of waste and specifically food waste? Yeah, so our long-term branch goal is to increase waste reduction and diversion in support of the zero waste framework. And this framework influences how we look at waste. So we're focusing on the top three tiers of the um, waste management hierarchy, which are rethink, re reduce, and reuse. And under this zero waste framework, we want to treat waste as a natural resource. So the idea is that when we value waste like a resource, we apply the concept of the circular economy to it. And that's really about making the most of what we have by keeping it in use for longer. So the same concept can be applied to food. Food is at its highest value when eaten. Food waste, the term specifically, is actually a waste management term that's, uh, that describes edible and non-edible food that's not reduced or redistributed. So some of what our branch does right now is we provide residents with information and tips on how to reduce food waste, whether they're at home, they're at work, or they're out in public. Um, we, coming up here, we're also looking forward to playing a more active role in supporting organizations who already do this work, such as Leftovers. Um, partnering with community organizations are actually, that's one of our key themes of um, our waste reduction roadmap, which was actually released today. Yeah, I, uh, I saw that. And maybe... Um... Alicia, who's our, our background moderator, if she could post the link to that um, to that uh, that roadmap, that'd be great. And people kind of can peruse on their own time and we might touch on bits and pieces of it throughout our, our chat today. Uh, Sarah, when we're talking about food waste specifically, what data do we have 
in Edmonton? What, what do we know about how much food is being wasted in Edmonton? Yeah, the, the city has done a couple of different research studies looking into how much food waste is generated by residents and, and what its characteristics are, like what are people wasting? Um, we do sort of periodic, really comprehensive waste characterization studies that take lot, like the, basically a, a garbage truck that's coming to the waste management center gets diverted and a large sample of waste is taken from it and sorted into tens of categories, you know, possibly even a hundred categories or more. We really break it down into very fine grain categories. Uh, and that really lets us see what people are throwing out. And by taking representative samples, we can extrapolate that to all the waste in Edmonton, all the residential waste, and figure out how many tons of food waste or yard waste or textiles are being thrown out each year. So the last time we did that really comprehensive kind of study was in 2016. We also have data uh, from the homes that were part of the CARCH rollout demonstration area. So those 8,000 homes that have been using the, the new CART system for the past uh, year and a half or so, or two years. Um, and we did seasonal waste composition studies with them. And we could get into a little bit more data on the food waste part. And as Jana mentioned earlier, looking at what's avoidable and unavoidable. And when we talk about avoidable food waste, that's the stuff that could have been eaten once upon a time. You know, that's your moldy piece of bread or your strawberries that rotted in the back of your fridge, that sort of thing. Or even just the food that your kids didn't want to eat and you scraped off their plates. Um, unavoidable food waste is the stuff that we don't typically eat. So it's the bones and the pits and the peels and that sort of thing. So of course, avoidable food waste is the real target of our food waste reduction programs because it's avoidable and we want to help people learn to avoid it. Uh, we use that data that to sort of develop um, our targets and to inform our educational campaigns. So by knowing, for instance, that there's lots of fruits and vegetables that people are throwing out, we can use that to sort of fine tune our messaging around habits that people should change to avoid throwing out fruits and vegetables. Yeah, excellent. Um, and what do we have any numbers on uh, like percentages of residential food waste? I know in the roadmap, I was glancing over it earlier and I saw yeah. some, but maybe you have more detailed ones. We do, and I could get them for you while Jan is answering a question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my best bet. Yeah. I don't have the numbers on the tip of my tongue, but yeah, if you want me to, I can like squirrel away or we can uh, post that as a follow-up to this group after the event, whatever you prefer. It depends how accessible they are. If they're really accessible for you, I would, that'd be great. And maybe that's one of the benefits of having two guests. And on the other hand, if it's gonna be distracting for you, then we can keep that, uh, keep our focus here and we can, we're happy to send those out afterwards as well. I'll have uh, a quick look while Jan is doing the next question. And if I find that I am not paying attention or distracting others, then I'll stop. <laughs> Sounds good, thanks. Uh, yeah, okay, Janet, um, I'll let you with this one. How, so you mentioned that the city of Edmonton is working with organizations like Leftovers to, uh, to more actively um, work with us and find out how we can uh, reduce more waste. And what are some of the methods and some of the ways you found that to be most um, productive and what are your plans for that? Yeah, Garnet. So, um... We mentioned that we just wrapped up 
developing this waste reduction roadmap. It's gone live today. And during the engagement process, when we developed this roadmap, we consulted with food rescue organizations in Edmonton. So this roadmap has 10 actions, and one of those specifically um, includes establishing a waste reduction working group. So getting together leftovers, getting together interested organizations that currently um, work to reduce waste and getting them together, like-minded people in a community of practice kind of setting. And also another action is supporting these organizations that already are out there delivering waste reduction programs and activities. Part of waste prevention includes, as we know, redistributing usable items among community members. And so the city want, doesn't want to get in the way of those organizations that are already doing all of this great work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, I remember uh, in those roadmap discussions, the goodwill was in that in that group, and they do a fantastic job of reducing waste. Uh, in that they provide a place where people can drop off things, and I love that you can drop off not just your perfectly good shirts, but also your shirts that have holes in them, and they'll turn into rags and stuff. So yeah, there's definitely organizations that are doing great work already, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to uh, to participate in that and see what else. We can come up with when we're talking uh, within the sector about broader change. As a follow-up to that, taking our focus from waste reduction organizations and to in individuals interested in waste reduction, what are the, some of the primary tips or key messages that you're sending out to individuals these days to uh, combat food waste? Yeah, so there's a number of, um, of messages we send out. So one is, you know, we say food is at its best use when eaten. So um, some of those tips include um, buying what you need, pre-planning your meals, like some of those shopping and personal habit tips. But um, one of the bigger ones is actually awareness of food waste categories. So um, we wanna get the message out there and get the education out there of um, the difference between avoidable and unavoidable food waste as Sarah has mentioned and the best way to deal with all of those. So that involves consumer awareness of not only the food labels and proper food storage. So um, often we see on product packaging use by or best before or expiry dates. So use by really indicates a date by which the food is safe to be eaten. Whereas best before means that the food's quality is best prior to that date, but it's still safe to eat after that date. So knowing the date labeling on food is quite important in making the most of it and uh, making sure it's being used at its best. Um, we also see expiration dates and expiration dates are mostly on foods with strict nutritional specifications. So mostly you see those with associated with like infant formula or, or supplements and meal replacements, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, there's obviously gaps. Uh, we can always do better to do better by our environment, do better to um, know how to reduce our avoidable food waste. And so part of that is being motivated to put in the effort and um, personal habits, awareness levels and personal behaviors also play into this. Um, how we shop, how we store products, 
how we cook. Those are all things that we can all look at and do our part in how to manage avoidable food waste. And people have different motivations for their reasons. There could be environmental or, uh, arguments like reducing greenhouse gas emissions or some are more motivated by financial arguments. Like I know for myself, I buy imperfect produce because it's less expensive and it's just as good. So I'm saving money and um, not wasting food. And then of course, some people are also motivated by health arguments, um, the benefits of eating their fruits and veggies instead of throwing them out. So mm -hmm. all in all, there's, there's lots at play here. Um, we're not asking anyone to do it perfectly. That's not waste reduction or zero waste is about. It's more about a collective effort to practice waste reduction and recognizing when it comes to food specifically um, that it's best when eaten, um, knowing how to get edible food to people and then knowing how to get inedible food to um, good uses like through industrial farms or processing facilities. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of information. It is. Is. is it and is it difficult to de, like to get that information to the people? Is it ever a, a, like a challenge to have those conversations? Um, I would say, like as you said, that was a bit of an information dump. So we do try to keep it simple, and in all of our messaging, you know, we'll have our tips, and um, I think we say what works best for you because there is a lot. Like you can, everyone's. Everyone is on a different journey when it comes to their waste reduction habits. So pick a place that works for you, pick an action that works for you and kind of just go with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was listening to a uh, radio interview today with somebody who is, I think it was uh, CK Way's Notes on Health and Wellness. And somebody was saying, if you want to make a change in your life, don't make a huge change, just take one incremental change and commit to it and then take another one and commit to it. And so perhaps we can take that same approach with uh, reducing at-home food waste as well. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And you know, following up on that, I, I found some of those numbers. And what I, what I can share is that edible food waste or the avoidable food waste is typically significantly more of the food waste that's in our, our organic stream and our garbage stream. So it's, you know, it makes sense for people to start taking those steps to be actually eating the food that they buy and not throwing it out. Like when you, when you put it that simply, it seems really obvious. Like if you're buying it to be eaten, then you should eat it. Um, but people just can, can sometimes benefit from making a conscious effort and having a specific action that they're committing to, whether it's a leftovers day that you, you know, every Wednesday or every Friday or whatever you, you go through your fridge and you eat your leftovers. Um, maybe that works for your, your family, or maybe it's making a shopping list, checking what you have in the fridge before you go to the store. Like some of these things feel like basic, you know, home economics sort of things in a way, but we've lost some of that uh, over the years. And it's, you know, we need to get refreshed on those habits. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. In 2019, we estimate that the total quantity of avoidable food waste in the garbage was about 30,000 tons. And that's just from the residential sector. So um, 
that's a lot of edible food. Definitely. Do we know what that is in a percentage? Yeah, um, I have it broken down by the percentage of single unit household, like what it is in the single unit garbage stream and what it was from the multi-unit garbage stream. I don't have a, a blended percentage for you off the bat, but um, the avoidable food waste, now I've got to go back and find it again, sorry, uh, is about 11% of the single unit garbage and about 14 or 15% of the multi-unit garbage. The reason that it's higher in the multi-unit garbage as a percentage is because multi-unit um, households don't typically generate yard waste. And so their overall volume is less. So as a percentage, the food waste is more. It doesn't mean that those households are throwing out more food waste per household. It's just as a percentage, it, um, it comes across as more. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Um, and how about, uh, I'd like to switch our attention over to the commercial industrial sector. What do we know about food waste in that realm? I know it's not your uh, directly in your jurisdiction. And I also know that you're, you know, making steps to uh, have more impact in that area as well. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah, so we are in the really preliminary stages of working towards having a regulation that would require all non-residential waste generators to separate their waste into a minimum of three streams. And those three streams would be recycling, food scraps, and garbage. And the reason I say a minimum of three streams is because of course the recycling could be separated into multi-stream recycling. They could have a garbage stream and a plastic stream and a metal stream, for instance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, because the city does not provide collection services to the non-residential sector, and because we don't have a disposal facility for their waste, it's tricky for us to regulate it. Um, so it's quite a project to figure out what authority we should apply, what mechanism we wanna use to do that. Uh, and we have done some initial background research and um, there's actually a report went to utility committee in February that describes some of that background research and our upcoming steps. Um, and I can share that link with you, Garnet, and uh, we can send it around afterwards. It's the February 5th utility committee meeting. And what we know from our preliminary research is there's about 700, we estimate that there's about 770,000 tons of non-residential waste generated in Edmonton every year. And that's about twice as much um, as the residential sector. So it's a significant um, thing for us to be tackling. Mm -hmm. uh, we are intending to start some engagement with those non-residential generators in the fall after the municipal election with a goal towards having um, uh, that regulation in place sometime in 2023. So mm -hmm. we're, we're sort of tackling the residential sector first because we have the most control there um, and then moving to the non-residential. But we're also using the opportunity to um, revamp how the city manages waste in its own civic operations as a way to lead by example for the non-residential sector and also like learn what works. So you'll start seeing like city hall now has three stream waste sorting. Um, some of our higher profile rec centers and that sort of thing, which I realize nobody can go to right now, but they have gotten their three stream sorting bins. And you know, there's, there's something like 200 city facilities will be receiving these sorting stations um, by the end of the project. I think the Valley Zoo actually launched today as well. Like, um, Fort Edmonton mm -hmm. Park, like all those kind of places, you'll start to see the three stream sorting rolling out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, great. And 
right now, where does that waste go? It's there's independent contractors who come and pick it up, right? And then what happens? Yeah, there is a number of private landfills around the Edmonton area, and that waste can go to any of those landfills. Um, and those landfills have no obligation to report to us, the city, how much waste they take in or where it originates. So those landfills also get waste from St. Albert and Spruce Grove and Sherwood Park, like it all just comes in together. So those landfills need to report to Alberta Environment and Parks how much waste they receive in total, but they don't have to say how much came from Edmonton businesses. So that's why we're you know, left relying on some estimates about how much waste um, those non-residential generators produce. Mm-hmm. And for those uh, non-residential generators and the private landfills, when when we talk about the city of Edmonton's uh, waste management center, we know that there's like you know innovative plans and things that are happening there. Uh, we also know that some of them didn't work out, uh, as was the story over the past two years. Um, but we know that there's like there's movement, and we're we're trying to make um, you know better management systems for the waste that is produced with the private landfills, are they just standard landfills? Is there innovation happening there? Is there sorting happening there? What's happening? That's a good question. Um, I, I can't speak for all of them. I know Alberta environment has standards um, that those landfills would have to meet in terms of groundwater protection. Uh, there are also um, landfills create methane, which is a greenhouse gas, right? And that methane is actually created from food scraps and yard waste and other organic materials that end up in the landfill. And a well-designed landfill doesn't allow a lot of oxygen in. And so it's that the, we call it anaerobic, means no oxygen uh, conditions in the landfill. The bacteria start breaking down the organics and it produces methane. So under uh, provincial regulations, landfills actually can be classified as large emitters of greenhouse gas emission or greenhouse gases. Um, and can be required to pay um, for their emissions. So we are seeing some private landfills taking steps to reduce their emissions by capturing that landfill gas. Um, at a most basic step, it can be captured and then just burned. They call it flaring it, um, which at least um, converts it into carbon dioxide, which is not as strong a greenhouse gas as methane. In the best case, we see that methane get captured and burned and used as energy. It can either, the methane can be cleaned and then actually injected into natural gas um, lines, or it can be burned on site and used to produce heat, which can then produce electricity. So I know there are landfills that are exploring that. I, I don't know well enough um, how far any of our local landfills have gone, but it is something that really well-run landfills are, are you know, um, incorporating into their operations. Speaking of which, Tell me about the city of Edmonton's new anaerobic digestion facility. Is that the same or is that slightly different than what you were just talking about? Yeah, that, I mean, I feel like I just laid that segue right on the table for you there. That was you, great. You did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is, I guess, a similar biological process, but done in a very different way. So an anaerobic digestion facility is designed to optimize the amount of methane gas that's produced, whereas in the landfill, it kind of happens on the side, right? It, or no, you're not trying to produce it, it just happens. Whereas an, an anaerobic digestion facility, or ADF, as we call it for short, um, it, the, it's an engineered system that is trying to maximize the amount of methane that's produced 
so that we can use it for energy. So the city of Edmonton does have an ADF out at the Edmonton Waste Management Center. And um, it is, um, has been going through a process to be commissioned and become up and running in time for the cart rollout um, that has actually started this week. The first series of carts were collected earlier this week on Tuesday. Um, yeah, 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 it's a really, it's a great milestone for us. It's, it's yeah. been a long time coming and, um, you know, delayed a little bit last year due to COVID, but we're on track for everybody to still have their carts by the end of this summer, which was the original timeline for the, for the carts to finish rolling out. So, yeah, um, so the anaerobic digestion that we have out at the Edmonton Waste Management Center, is, it's called a dry AD facility, which means that it's the waste goes in or like the organic matter goes in looking like organic matter, like it, it kind of gets blended with some wood chips, we need it to have a certain amount of structure to it, so that, um, that the process works properly. There are other kinds of AD that work more uh, in a much wetter condition. So the waste gets mixed with water and turned into what they call a slurry, kind of like a really revolting milkshake is about I think the right <laughs> consistency. Um, and it's just a different kind of bacteria that work in those conditions. So um, we've gone with the dry AD technology uh, out, of, out at the EWMC. Interesting, interesting. And um, I realized that, uh, so one uh, message to the audience here, start preparing your questions because I got, um, I'm going to ask one more and then I'm going to open it up to the floor. I have many more after that, but I'll, uh, I'll start um, opening up because I'm sure folks have many questions as well. Um, but one thing I realized that we, we missed in our conversation so far is, do we know the amount of food waste produced by the commercial industrial sector? We have some estimates of that, um, but it's based on waste composition studies done on the non-residential sector in other jurisdictions. So I actually see uh, Sheila Das's name. I can only see like three participants' names. Hi, Sheila. Uh, Sheila's <laughs> with the City of Calgary, and we definitely use City of Calgary data for our commercial um, waste composition. So we, we have estimates and those are in the roadmap that came out today. Um, and it's also one of the most significant uh, waste streams and like a target for, for reduction. Okay, excellent, excellent. Um, does it, I'm just gonna leave a moment here for anybody to ask a question. You're welcome to unmute yourself or uh, put the question in the chat box. And I was told that you were supposed to leave some time before uh, moving on because people need a few moments to to doing that. And I see we have one question here from Kira. What are the biggest barriers to your work? What attitudes or opinions do individuals have about your work? Jana, I'm willing to take a stab at it. And if you want to build on what I say, does that sure. sound like Yeah, go for it, Sarah. Yeah. So Jana alluded to this earlier, but really we know that Edmontonians are in different places kind of on their waste journey. We have Edmontonians who are really excited about this stuff and they just like want to do the best they can in terms of their waste reduction, in terms of their sorting. I mean, we think of them as being our really our, our real, um, like our early adopters and our advocates. Um, and it, it's easy for us to have these conversations with those people. And I would imagine that most people 
on this call tonight um, would, would fit into that category. Yeah. Um, then there's kind of like the middle chunk of people. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing in my mind, like one of those normal distribution graphs, right? So there's a, the one tail end, there's those early adopters. Then there's the big chunk in the middle. And those people, we need to find a message that really resonates with them and why they need, why they should care about this. And I think for many Edmontonians in that category, their focus over the next little while is going to be on getting used to the carts. The carts are a big deal for a lot of people. Um, historically, Edmontonians have been able to put out as much garbage as they want every single week, didn't need to fit in any particular size or shape of, of container, and it would just disappear. And so getting used to being limited to 240 liters every two weeks is going to be challenging for some people. And I think as they come up against that challenge, it's gonna help them start thinking about their habits and reevaluating their purchasing decisions and starting to think more about waste reduction. Mm -hmm. So I'm very hopeful that we're gonna see the attitudes kind of shift and that it's not gonna be just the people on the kind of leading edge who care about waste reduction, but it be kind of diffuses more into the, the middle section of the graph. And then we have the people at the other end who will be our late adopters. And it's hard for us to talk to them. And honestly, I don't think it's where we'll make the most progress. And so we typically, most of our conversations try and focus on the middle group and getting people who are on that leading edge to help us with those conversations. Because the city's not always the right person to be delivering messages. Like we're the man, right? And so like who wants to listen and take advice from us, but you know, to hear from Garnet or to hear from a friend or a colleague can sometimes be more effective. So mm. that's how we're trying to sort of leverage those partnerships. Mm. I'll be your undercover agent. You can tell me the important stuff to share. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, next question we got from uh, Laura. Laura is one of our Leftovers volunteers. Uh, are you doing any research on the changes in single use waste, uh, for example, masks over the last year during the pandemic? We are not doing any direct research on that ourselves. Um, we've certainly been on the receiving end of some research. Um, more, actually, some specific research related to food waste um, during the pandemic that came out of Dalhousie, I believe it was. Um, so that there are people doing that really kind of like current research, but unfortunately, it's not something that the city has been able to do directly. Um, mm. We know anecdotally that especially in the early days of the pandemic, people were using more single-use items. Um, stores were not allowing people to bring reusable shopping bags in uh, or reusable cups, that sort of thing. And I think attitudes are changing back for the better now. And, and those kind of behaviors are more encouraged again. Mm -hmm. uh, we have another question from Shaleen, but before we do, I just have to follow up on that little hint you dropped. What do we know about food waste during the pandemic, according to that research from Dalhousie? Jana, I feel like you wrote up that research for us in a newsletter. Generally, I think people were wasting less food because they were doing fewer grocery shops and spending more time at home. That's what I mm -hmm. remember the, the takeaway being. Hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, people were cooking more, but then they were also buying more because um, because for a while grocery stores were the only things that were open um but yeah that's that's kind of the the long and short of it interesting interesting that's something that we've been asked several times from like reporters or people in uh just generally the 
the, the population of Edmonton as you could say like mm, experts in food waste, so to speak. And, uh, and that's something we haven't done research. So um, yeah, really curious about that. I'll, I'll follow up with that about that um, after the meeting and we'll send it out to our audience as well in case anybody else. Next question here from Shaleen. To what extent do you think household food waste is related to incentivized bulk buying? So that's, yeah, have you heard of big box stores considering disincentivizing bulk buying in the interest of reducing waste? Part of the issue is as well as probably the cost of packaging. Yeah, I, I haven't heard of any stores doing that, Shalene, but I think it's a great idea. I mean, people are tempted to buy the three pack of cucumbers because each cucumber is cheaper than buying a single cucumber, but I don't. Can, can my family go through three cucumbers in a week? Probably not. Um, and I think that kind of thing is that that kind of idea is the sort of thing that we would love to start normalizing with our, our roadmap calls for the creation of a, a working group with non-residential generators to start sharing ideas about how the non-residential sector can help reduce waste. And so if there's a store that is doing that, then to hear them say that they're doing it and share it with other stores is again, gonna be more impactful than us just saying, hey stores, did you ever think about disincentivizing bulk buying? It, to, to have that like real life example of a store doing it and having it work for them can encourage other stores to take on that behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, from Farah, so uh, I believe you both spoke with Farah. I was, had the pleasure of speaking with her earlier this week. She's doing her master's on food waste in the Edmonton, Alberta region. Um, so if anybody's interested, uh, I, I understand it'll be at least a year before that's out. But um, Farah's question is, how do you see collaboration playing a role in food waste prevention and mitigation? It goes back to what we said earlier, like it is really a collective effort. Um, we all have a role in um, reducing waste and especially when it comes to food waste, uh, making sure that it is um, being used at its highest value and whether that includes collaborating more. I mean, we have the um, stakeholder working group, um, which is part of the roadmap action, which we'll hopefully get together like-minded people to discuss great ways to uh, mitigate and prevent food waste. Um, but it really needs to be a joint effort because when we apply these zero waste, circular waste economy concepts to food management, we can really reimagine how food is used, how food's produced, how it's packaged, distributed, consumed, um, and this really has a huge potential to ultimately reduce the amount of food that goes to waste, like waste waste, uh, to landfill, which is the least preferred option of how we want to deal with food waste. Uh, and then on a more holistic note, um, it's a great way to make positive impacts on our planet. So that's kind of how I see collaboration playing a role is we get, if we get creative thinkers and innovators in a room, we can really imagine and develop these really unique concepts of how to tackle food waste. And you see that already at play 
um, out in the world right now. So there's there's um, there's ways to get from food to restaurant and keep that in the circular loop, um, taking restaurant scraps to a compost facility, taking the compost uh, that's created from the compost facility to the farm and using that compost at the farm to grow new food for a restaurant. So that's kind of a, a very small example of how we can treat food as a resource and create a circular loop to keep uh, keep it in, in use. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely, because food isn't, isn't waste, even after, you know, even the unavoidable food waste isn't waste. It is still a very useful product that can be turned back into food. It can be turned into healthy soil, which is so needed in uh, the soil disintegration and what we're doing to our soil on, the, on a mass scale. I see uh, Vimal has uh, his hand up. Uh, Vimal, do you want to uh, unmute yourself or do you want to uh, put your question in the chat box, whichever you prefer? Uh, hello, everybody, how are you doing? Great, thanks. Thanks, I'm glad you're tuning in. Sorry, I'm late. I was doing some stuff for my food hampers for such a day. <laughs> so uh, we talked before grand, so you know me right a little bit. So I, mm -hmm. I just want to tell you about something, the social system, right? Because the social, our social system, it's only my opinion, first of all, it's only my opinion. I'm not saying something good or bad, but it's only my opinion. That's how I felt in my life. So it's only my opinion, please. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to offend here or any other system here. So just, it's only my own opinion, right? So I just like to share with you guys. So I think we have big problem with the, our social system. When I was growing up, my mom was home and my dad was working, right? Now in the family, if you want to live, everybody have to work. So when the mom have to go out to work, then she don't have time to cook and take care of the kids. So from here, this my point of view, from here, we see disturbance in the life, right? Because I think the woman is a very good, they are very good teacher, they are very good leader to, to, to go for the kids. Right, so they can make good leaders, but when the parents are not home, both of them are out and working, then we have problem with the society, right? We have a problem with the social care and everything. And that's some point of view is come to the food too, right? When everybody's working, mom have to go to work. So what she gonna do? She gonna cook some packed food or she have to hurry and hurry up in rush, she have to pick food from the Timotron or something, fast food. And you can't sometimes eat that all. That's go in the waste. I've seen people, they are having donuts. They buy two donuts, but one or half donut is always go in the garbage. So I think that we need to look the how the social system where we are living in is impacting our life. And it's impacting every corner of our life. I like to see just five week, five uh, five day of week. Then every family is get together at home. And then you're gonna see there's a lot stress, lots of less stress on the families. Because when the family they, they sit together, they they do talk, they solve their problems. Now, now parents they don't talk to each other because when dad is home, mom is working, and when mom is home, dad is working. So sometimes kids mm -hmm. are not 
spirit. So we are losing the yeah. benefit of the United Family, and it's impacting is every corner of our life. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, Vimal. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Vimal is a postal worker and distributes uh, maybe 50, 100 hampers every week and works with leftovers to access some of the, some of the foods. And um, I think that, yeah, Vimal, you've raised an interesting point that uh, food waste is a systemic issue and um, it's not isolated as its own thing. It's also related to these other things going on in our society. And in the creation of the roadmap, how would uh, that come into play when you're looking at, you know, maybe, uh, for example, gardening more might uh, might increase people's health and increase their respect for food and result re reduce food waste, but also is dealing with these other issues. In the creation of the roadmap, how do you work with other sectors within the city and other sectors outside of waste? That, that's a good question. And um, I feel like like waste reduction really does kind of happen at that intersection of lots of different issues. Um, and we're working closely with, this is not related to what uh, Vimal was just talking about, but we're working closely with Capital City Cleanup, for instance. And so they're obviously concerned about single-use items from a litter perspective. And we're concerned about it from, you know, like a waste of resources and like a waste perspective, but we obviously have similar end goals. And so we're able to work together really closely with them. Uh, we also worked, Jenna, can you remind me the name of the group that we worked with through Sarah Patterson? It was the food, it was a COVID response food resources network or something. Food security network, I believe. Yes. Um, and so had some great conversations and good connections there with the food bank and other um, social agencies to sort of talk about how, and they were the ones who really who clued us into the fact that calling it food waste doesn't work for them because it's not food waste. Like that's, it's insulting mm -hmm. to call it food waste. And so you need mm -hmm. to like find new vocabulary that isn't so waste centric. So it, it is this intersectional issue that we are, you know, I think are really lucky to be able to start forging partnerships, not only outside the city, but inside the city. And that's new, um, I think. Jana and I have also made some great contacts within our energy transition group because there's so many connections to climate change as well. And so yeah. really trying to strengthen the profile of waste that it's not just about landfills. Like there's, <laughs> it's so much more than that. Um, and really raising awareness within our own organization too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, certainly. Um, I wanna go, I mean, uh, folks continue asking your questions. Uh, and in the meantime, I, I have more myself as well. Um, Jana, at the beginning, you were talking about the zero waste framework. Uh, could you expand about what that is and, and how that plays into your work? Yeah, totally. So the zero waste framework, it's like the upside down triangle that um, uh, is a waste management, it's based on the waste management hierarchy. So it's got um, five layers. <laughs> so to speak. So at the top of the hierarchy, the most preferred action is to um, rethink. So like rethink and redesign um, what we're doing. And then next comes reduce um, and then reuse. So then the zero waste framework really focuses on these top three um, hierarchies. Uh, and then we have, of course, um, recycle and compost, uh, 
recycle, processing, and then um, last is landfill. Um, so when it comes to food, we want to apply that same waste management hierarchy to food waste. And like, again, I'm saying food waste as a waste management term. Um, so first of all, we want to reduce our food waste. Then the next preferred action is distributing um, usable food and donating food within the co uh, community so that it can be used. Next is then um, anything that can't be used within the community. The next best option is to use it for um, for like farming and for feeding animals. And then the next is processing it into compost. And then finally, the least preferred action is of course, landfilling it. We um, Food has much better uses than being landfilled. So that's mm -hmm. why that's our last option. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and I think that as you were talking about and um, Farah was asking, with our collaborative working group, that is the intention of the, but like we can really rethink things when we are in that frame, when we are all in a room and we're collectively talking about things, that's where we can actually rethink things. Because me as an individual, if I rethink things, that's great, but I'm not going to change the system. But if we have key players that are rethinking things and working together to come up with solutions that work across the board, I think that's where transformation can really happen. And it's not just, me putting one less thing in the garbage. From the zero waste framework, I wanna turn our attention to the roadmap. And uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the goals are for the next three years. So up until 2024, it's don't increase our waste production. And then over a 25 year span, we're looking for a 20% reduction. Is that right? And how did you come up with the number 20, 20%? Good question. Um, we wanted something that felt like a stretch goal, but that wasn't completely unattainable. Um, what we have, what we do see uh, historically, is an increase in that waste generation per person. So we call it you know, per capita or per person. Every year for the past several years, that amount has gone up on average by about five kilograms per year. So about ten pounds more waste per person every year. And like you stop to think about it, you're like. Is there any good reason for that? Like, oof, there's a, there's a lot. That's a lot of waste. And so, even just trying to slow and then stop that growth and kind of, um, you know, to borrow the phrase of the moment, like bend the curve a little bit, um, feels like quite an aspiration for the next three years. And then, that's not good enough, though. We need to actually bring it down. And so, you know, twenty percent felt challenging based on today's context, but we're also hopeful that we're starting to hear more about, like Jana was talking about the circular economy and for lots of different things, like not just food, but for plastics and other materials. And we're starting to see businesses getting on board with that idea. And like some of the big producers out there, um, there's a new organization called the Canada Plastics Pact. Edmonton is actually a, a partner of that. And it represents some really big retailers and manufacturers who have committed to some pretty aspirational goals. And so with those changes happening that are very much outside the city's direct sphere of influence, we feel like that 20% is achievable. But it's certainly not something that just us encouraging people to 
eat their leftovers is is not going to result in that 20%. It's going to take like broader societal change as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly challenging to uh, to set a goal that you have influence on and yet you know the greater context has so much uh, additional influence on as well. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to have uh, one last question here from Shada to both Jana and Sarah. Could you paint a picture for a moment of your dream Edmonton in regards to bigger picture of what you've been touching on? Have you, you have your roadmap, which is more realistic picture, but if you had no barriers to your work, what would that look like? That is such a good question. I love it because I do spend so much of the day trying to be pragmatic and think about what can the roadmap be that will be enough to satisfy those leaders, but not scare off the middle of the road people, right? And so, um, what is the dream? I mean, really, I think it's a situation where people do have that real sense of personal responsibility and understand the difference that their individual actions make. But that sense of personal responsibility has extended to the people who are making the big decisions, those retailers and manufacturers, and they understand the impact that their decisions have in their places of business on individuals and their capacity for change. So I think it's it's where, you know, it does sound pretty utopian, I guess, but but where we're, we all recognize that we really do just have one planet that we're working with here and that we need those resources to be distributed equally and that waste is kind of an indication of uh, inequitable resource distribution um, and that, that that's really sort of taken into heart and we're all working with a, a more level um, playing field. And I'm sure Jana has her own version of the dream that I'd love to hear too, because we, we never had time to really dream that big. So take it away, Jana. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I personally would love to see, it uh, to kind of piggyback on Sarah's point, if we had no barriers, would love to see people look towards the future and think about how their individual actions can set future generations up for success uh, beyond ourselves. Um, and how to cultivate Edmonton by reducing waste and by being more um, sustainably minded and tuned in um, to create a Edmonton that that like truly flourishes. And I know that sounds really um, idealistic and cheesy, but uh, I would love to see that one day. Absolutely. I am all on board with both of you on all of that. And I think that um, uh, what you're saying, Sarah, with regards to like waste being a sign of inequity, I think that's in particular true of food waste. Um, that's like more so than, than the other waste streams. And uh, yeah, I think that that is a fantastic note to end our webinar on. Um, thanks so much to both of you for being here and speaking tonight. I feel like from my perspective, the city of Edmonton's waste management and food waste is this large obscure thing that I feel is quite like uh, almost intimidating to start to learn about. But uh, in our discussion today, I feel I understand now exactly what your role is, what the city's role is and, and where we're at with regards to these things. So thanks very much for taking the time to, to go through this with us. Um, and I'd also like to thank the rest of the Leftovers team for helping put on this webinar. Um, Shaleen, Alicia, Dwayne, Kira, there's been so many people who have participated to um, bring this together. Uh, very much appreciate that. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. 
Our uh, next webinar will be in May and we'll be discussing um, backyard fruit uh, rescue with Operation Fruit Rescue Edmonton. Very much looking forward to chatting with them and stay tuned for news about our upcoming partnership with them. Uh, any other last minute uh, additions to, to add, John and Sarah? No, just oh. I want to come to your next webinar. So <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks again. And I hope everybody has a lovely evening. And uh, as is accustomed to these, starting to become accustomed to these webinars, we're going to end it off with some live accordion music. I play in a band with my brothers and we had our first gig of the season just before the most recent lockdown. And it's so nice to, to participate in. Thanks everybody. Have a lovely evening. Go out and get some fresh air. Ciao.